That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19. And somehow, I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together. Because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to the show. If you like it, I hope you do. We're always looking for new reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts, so that's a thing. If you can, that'd be great. If not, we're still friends and all good. On today's show, I am speaking with an incredible human being, Carly Flumer, two-time thyroid cancer survivor and director of medical engagement at MMG, which is a really important healthcare agency doing incredible work in patient recruitment. She's also a legitimate torchbearer for the adolescent and young adult cancer movement, something I'm very proud to have helped give birth to in the Stone Age of the mid-2000s. So she was diagnosed with stage one metastatic papillary thyroid cancer. You'll learn more about that during our conversation in January of 2017 at the age of 27. Not that there's a good time to get cancer, but come on, right when you're just getting started. Yes, that is the AYA cancer story. She went through all sorts of crazy treatment, but managed to get her master's degree in health communication, and she's been blowing up the Twitterverse at Carly Flumer ever since. She now enters the podcasting fray in the hot seat here on Out of Patience to drop some knowledge about thyroid cancer and the occasional S-bomb. Ladies and gentlemen, Carly Flumer. Carly Flumer. No, I'm sorry. Carly Flumer. Hi. I, I pulled the Target. You did. <laughs> it's not just nice to see you. It's nice to see you for the first time in person. And it's nice to see you in person. Oh, my gosh. Three oh, things. Yes. I'm so excited to be here. Well, welcome to New York for the third time. Thank you. But now you get to come here. I do. In studio live here at Oscar Health. Yes. What do you think? I love it. Is it hyperbaric enough for you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're like longtime listeners, first time followers. Like we finally yes. see each other in person. I don't know how yeah. it's taken this long for our paths I know. to cross. Yeah. There's no like bromance for Twitter, but we've just been stalking each other and doing all the Twitter things forever. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how we've never occupied the same space at the same time is like, I have no idea how that happened. Because uh-huh. you, you you were diagnosed how many years ago? Four. Right. And I was still at Super Cancer. We were having all our conferences and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But we're here. We are. And, and four years, you're still here. Yes. So thyroid cancer, I just want to leave with this because like the running joke is, oh, that's the good one. Yeah. And right? I hate How many it. times did he, you tell, oh, you'll be fine. It's a good one. Many times. Real, for real, right? Yes. What weight pipe were you carrying to hit that person over the head with? <laughs> At the time, I wasn't because I didn't have any symptoms. So I very much believed that this would be kind of how my journey was going to go as 
quote unquote easy as it was. But then I had metastases and then radiation and then I can go into the whole story. <laughs> the good cancer so nice you got it twice. Oh, yes. Wait, so thyroid cancer is like a silent creep, right? It is, you, yes. you have no idea what it is. How old were you and what were you doing? And like, how do you not know you have something that no one knows what you have? Sure. Uh, I was 27 and um, I was in graduate school at Boston University and um, I was working full time for a hospital and I went in for an annual physical and my physician felt a lump that ended up being a congenital cyst in my throat. Um, but I went to have an ultrasound and they found the cyst. And then um, when they do an ultrasound, they do your entire neck. And so they also found my tumor at that time. And so um, they said it is recommended to get surgery or you can wait to see if it grows over time because thyroid cancer is very slow growing and it doesn't progress at least my type, which is papillary, the papillary variant. What is that? Variants are weird word these days, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Help me understand papillary versus is it non-papillary? So papillary is the most common type, um, but then there are others uh, such as medullary and anaplastic, which are more aggressive types. Okay. Yes. And so uh, I went to see a surgeon. I was able to get the surgeon's name because I worked in the hospital system and um, I asked the doctors who I worked with, who is the best surgeon that you know of um, that could take care of me for the situation? And they all told me the same person. And so I called him and it was a five month wait. Yeah, right. Because that sounds fantastic. So he is a general surgeon, but he's done thousands of thyroid cases. So I knew I wanted him to do my surgery. But in the meantime, I did get a second opinion. And he told me the exact same thing that I would be hearing um, at my five-month appointment. Um, the tumor was located in the right lobe of my thyroid. The thyroid is made up of two halves. So you have your left lobe and your right lobe, and you can live with one half of your thyroid. And so my physician was fantastic, and he really focused on the patient and what they were looking for in terms of outcomes for surgery. And so I was really focused on quality of life, given my young age. And so well, you weren't six or 80. Exactly. So I opted to, instead of getting out the entire uh, thyroid, I opted to get out the side with my tumor. And the, one of the disadvantages of that was the cancer could come back eventually on the other side many years down the road. And then the disadvantage of getting out the entire thyroid is having to be on a pill for the rest of your life that can do all of the functions that your thyroid does because you cannot live without it, which I did not know at the time. Honestly, I'm on that pill, but are you really? Yeah. My radiation destroyed my thyroid. Oh my gosh. It's still inside me, but like it doesn't work. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Hail the makers of Synthroid. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So I ended up getting my my right side out in May. And then I was recovering at home and two days into recovery, my surgeon called me and he said, we did pathology on your on your lymph nodes. So meaning they were looking at the lymph nodes to see if there was cancer in them and over 80% of them had cancer. 
Um, mm. mm-hmm. So he said, you have to come back and we're going to take out your other half. Um, so you thought you were kind of, quote, done-ish and yes. then this happened? Yeah. Yes. At 27 years old. Yes. Yeah. And so I did that. And, that you know, it's not a guarantee that they can get all of the thyroid out of your body because it's very close to many major organs, uh, such as your larynx and your pharynx and your voice box. Well, those don't and, matter. Come on. Yeah. Who needs those? <laughs> I know. So I had to undergo radiation. It actually kind of primed me for COVID because I took a pill and my whole body became radioactive. But that meant that when I was at home, I had to be away from my family and they could come in within so many feet of me. Um, And as time went on, the number of feet that they could come in to uh, the distance with me decreased. So, you know, I was also in school at the same time I was going through treatment and also going through school. And I was also working full time. You have to wear those like fallout shelter stickers all over you. <laughs> no. Have you seen those? It's a real thing. Like they're running jokes, but you can wear like fallout stickers when you're radiation. When you're really? radioactive. Yeah. No, I did. It's get like, a- leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone or I'll nuclear kill you. <laughs> yeah, I did get a letter um, to carry into my car because if I happen to get pulled over, if they measured radiation coming off of me, then right. I could show them a letter. Um, You'd be fun through TSA. Oh, I bet I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I had the radiation and then uh, still going through school, still working full time. And then I thought I was done after that. So then I had blood work every three months that checks your uh, your TSH, your T3, your T4, um, which Those are Those are the thyroid-specific hormone yes. blood test things? Yes. Okay. Yep. They basically can tell you how your thyroid is doing because it connects with the pituitary gland in your brain and how much thyroid hormone um, you are getting from the synthroid. So that's how the dose is determined. It can take many years to find out the dose that you need based on your body type because they start out with a dose based on, you know, your age and your weight. And then they It's all assumption. There's no math behind it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For any thyroid cancer people in the crowd, let's nerd out for a second. All right. Sure. My first dose was 0.5. Oh, wow. Which was, you know, at the time considered like, that's a lot. Sure. And then we realized it made me hyper thyroid, which is my thyroid wasn't working, but then they turned it into like this Tasmanian devil yeah. you know, roadrunner version. Of it. And I lost all this weight. It was not okay. Uh-huh. So then then slowed it down to 0. 0.25, then point. Now I'm on 0. 0.125. Grams? Micrograms. Oh, micrograms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, grams. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like bouncing like a rubber ball in the whole room if I was that much. Yeah, but it took me six years yeah. to regulate on a dose that worked for me. Sure. What did you start at? So I believe I started at 112 Mm -hmm. and then I went to 125 and then 137 and I'm back to 125. Now I'm back to 112. Okay. Yeah, because in the 90s, they didn't really have the same level of like longitudinal data, Mm -hmm. especially for young adults that had radiation induced thyroid death. Yes. Not thyroid cancer induced thyroid death. Yes. Yeah. 
And then uh, the thyroid globulin, which is the tumor marker that mm-hmm. measures um, if your cancer is coming back. And so I had always had a positive tumor marker even after my surgeries and my radiation. And I was told that for some patients, the thyroid globulin level does not go down mm-hmm. and they end up being fine or it takes a couple of years for it to go down. And mine just stayed the same consistently. So I wasn't too worried. I had an ultrasound every year. And so I got my ultrasound this year, February uh, 2021, and was told that my cancer was refractory, meaning it did not respond to the radiation treatment. And so I had was diagnosed with cancer again. And congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and I had my third surgery six months ago. Are you like a Pez dispenser where you can your whole neck snaps back and, <laughs> and pills come out now? I feel like it sometimes. Yeah. That's another thing. When I first met my batch of thyroid cancer friends through this organization called FICA. Yes. Props to Gary Bloom for yes. FICA. When I entered the cancer version, like, I don't know, 03 or 04, I had nothing to do. I was just trying to figure out what to do with my life sure. in my 20s. And I, I met people that live strong and like, where have you people been this whole time? And the thyroid cancer universe in young adults, you know, we make fun of it because our job is to be stupid and humorous about it. Uh-huh. They all were comparing like their neck scars. Yes. But the whole Pez dispenser conversation kept coming up. And at one point, someone brought Pez dispensers with, I have thyroid cancer, leave me alone on it. Oh my gosh, that's like, this amazing. This ridiculous stuff that only the Gen X young adult cancer universe could actually make happen because Sure. Why be so serious with something oh so gosh, ridiculous? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you are or not a pest dispenser? I feel like it. And you're six months out of your third surgery? Yes. Wow. Yeah. You ever get the whole, but you look great? Yes. How's that make you feel? Terrible. You want to punch the same person again? You know, I understand where they're trying to come from, but I hate it when people say you don't look sick. Because there are so many invisible diseases, not only thyroid cancer, but other rare diseases that you can look at somebody and say the exact same thing. But you really don't know until you talk to somebody about it. Do you ever have what I used to call geography guilt? No. Geography guilt is when someone else thinks your cancer wasn't bad enough because they had something else that they consider bad enough. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I do that with myself and and other patients, especially before this year when I found out it it hadn't gone away. Um, I would compare myself to other people who had had it worse than I did. And um, Alexa Jett, who was another thyroid cancer patient, um, I met through Twitter. And uh, she likes to talk about the um, the pain Olympics where you don't like to compare. Right. Yes. Yeah, I remember just there was so much get off my lawn cancer geography in the early 2000s between I have this and it's over here and you only had it over there and I had this much over here and you had that much over And what stupid cancer really tried to do, and I think what the young adult cancer movement really tried to do was kind of Switzerland everything. Mm-hmm. Can we just all get along that it sucks across yeah. the board and how much it sucks is irrelevant to we only to do this together. Mm-hmm. And it was just so refreshing, at least to me, because I had brain. And one could argue, uh, that's the worst one around. Sure. You could your fucking brain. Yeah. Come on, you can't even see it. Yeah. Right? What do you gonna, I'm gonna have a brainectomy. I'll be fine. Here you're yeah. cured, right? Sure. And it's such a waste of energy yeah. to be thinking that way on the offense or the defense at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the playing field is just leveled mm-hmm. because we all have our version of shit. Yeah, to deal with. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's very hard to not be able to do that. But you're right. You know, we've all gone through our own 
shit to curse it's okay to say it fuck, 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 fuck. you can say whatever <laughs> you want here. but yeah cancer is cancer at the end of the day and we've all been through our own journeys and each one of them has its ups and downs and us trying to come together i think makes it a little bit easier all right we'll be right back with carly Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back. Okay, hello. (laughs) (laughs) You're still here. I am here. She's still here. Oh, come on. Really? All right, I want to get into the whole, no one expects to get sick and then it happens and you can choose to cry in the shower or become an advocate. You know, were you on Twitter before you got sick? Yes. All right, and how did using Twitter possibly for the betterment of mankind, which is a nice way to think about Twitter Mm -hmm. or its potential these days, uh, how did that help you find support, find peers, were there hashtags? Like, where did you first start using Twitter to make sense of this crap? Sure. Um, so I was debating on putting my diagnosis actually on Instagram and Facebook for family and friends to see because I didn't want like a pity party or anybody to feel bad because mm-hmm. I was like, people have their own stuff to deal with. I don't need to add to it. But then I put it on there. And then I got really great support out of that. And so I was already on Twitter. And so I... Uh, At Carly Flumer. Yes, that's that's where you can find me. And um, I had learned about um, Twitter chats or tweet chats through one of my classes I did at Boston University for my master's degree. And we had to participate in one for an assignment. I can't remember which one I participated in. I must have... I think I found one that is what I do now as part of my advocacy role called patient chat. And that's held every other Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, And it's run by a group called Patient Empowerment Network. And um, I participated in it. And then I I think I was contacted by 
the people who who run Page and Chat. And I was talking to them about their website and it was very restrictive in terms of how many cancer groups were recognized. And I had a call with them and I was like, you know, if you really want to reach more patients, you have to have more cancers on here than breast and lung and the main cancers that you hear about. There's more about. than Mount Rushmore of cancer. Exactly. And so they said, um, we would love for you to to help us with that. And so they ended up coming up with a, uh, a network manager program and they asked me to be the pilot. And so when they How'd have- How'd that make you feel? Amazing. I mean, I had tried to use my diagnosis for other things as well. Um, I- had been working with John Novak, who worked for Inspire Love at the time. John. Shout out to Big J. Yes, he's amazing. I was looking for jobs because I had left my job at the hospital when I was undergoing radiation. And then when I was coming back, um, I had connected with him on LinkedIn. And um, this is the story is going in many different directions. It's a good direction, no matter what, no matter what direction. And then so he suggested that I pitch my story my diagnosis to the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I spoke to uh, the chief editor there. So I talked to her about my story, and she said, we have too many like yours. And I was like, okay, well, I didn't really know how to take that at first because I you know I think every diagnosis- There's too is, many of you? <laughs> yeah. Every diagnosis is different, but maybe what she meant was we've had people share their cancer stories before and we're just looking for something different. Um, so I didn't really let that stop me. I looked for other blogs that were sharing cancer stories and, and I kept receiving notifications from John about different opportunities. And that's how I got my work. So I've written for the Mayo Clinic, American Society for Wait, Cancer Research. What do you Research. write about? Like, well, like, what's your what's your big thing that matters most to you that you want people to learn and hear? Well, I'm an AYA advocate, so that's adolescent and young adult in the oncology space, and my main focus is building physician patient relationships and uh, the topic of health literacy. All right, so I'm going to blow your mind with a, a hypothetical, almost um, dogmatic, sure concept. Do you feel? that modern day empathy and compassion is missing in medicine on purpose or because doctors are too squeezed by the system to allow them to follow Hippocrates? I think they're too squeezed by the system. Absolutely. Especially in oncology, I don't think we have enough time to really understand what the patient wants. Um, And I've written about that a lot in, in my blog posts and in my written work where they're not really taken into consideration their values and their morals and and what they're really looking for out of their cancer journey besides hoping to get a cure. And Which means nothing. I know. The word cure is just one syllable. Yeah. And so, I mean, there are so many other aspects that go into cancer care um, that are really not talked about, I don't think, as much as they should be. I mean, it might be from a lack of empathy from physicians, but really there's also a lack of time and possibly a lack of resources, especially with disparities in healthcare that COVID brought to light in the oncology field. So now you work in life sciences. I do. And how does that make you feel to have this, like you have knowledge you never asked to have? 
how is it applicable to what you do? Sure. So I work for um, a health communications agency called MMG, and they're under Omnicom, which is a conglomerate. And they have a focus in healthcare uh, called Omnicom Health Group. Um, and MMG is one of the agencies. I was hired there back in February, two weeks before I was notified about my diagnosis and oh, had to wow. undergo treatment. That, that there's a good time for that to happen. I know. Well, you know what? I actually, when I interviewed with them, I made my diagnosis part of my interview. Well, that's a young adult specific question, too. People diagnose while they are kind of in their employee years. That's a thing that doesn't happen when you're a kid or an old person. And I'm glad you pointed that out because that is something really important sure. to really just drive home the individual nature of who the person is besides mm -hmm. what they have. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason I brought it up was because it's a healthcare company and they recruit for clinical trials. And so I was able to kind of use my experience as a cancer patient. And um, I've been in clinical trials before for quality of life. And so I was able to talk about that. Right. Because they're not allowed to ask you. You chose to disclose. Yes, that, I did. Which was a risk at this point. It is. Yes. But it worked. It did work. You hedged your bet and you paid off. Yes. And so now I work as a director of uh, medical engagement and I have a fabulous team. And I'm going to give a shout out to my project director, uh, Jamie Goldfarb. And she is also a stage four melanoma cancer survivor. Did she tell them she had cancer when she got the job? Yes, because when she first worked there, she was diagnosed with her cancer diagnosis and she had to undergo treatment at NIH in a clinical trial. Wow. Yes. It's like everyone's born of their condition. It's mm -hmm. it's it's oddly fantastic for the kind of wrong and right reasons. Mm -hmm. So let's wrap up over something that will only take us 30 seconds to solve. What's the deal with clinical trials? I'm totally kidding. <laughs> That's like nine other episodes with nine more episodes and then six sure. more seasons of nine more episodes. So you're take on where we arrived at because you entered the young adult cancer universe 10 years after it was started mm -hmm. in like 06 ish you mm -hmm. know 708 and we strove to make sure that even the words young adult cancer was a billing code mm -hmm. was a research thing mm -hmm. was a best practice standard those words sure and you know this idea that it's not one trial for all like it used to be when they were like four drugs on the market when I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Trials are now so segmented into like hundreds of micro, almost like you're micro dosing genetics, mm -hmm. you know, because it's such an end of one in many, many cases. Mm -hmm. Is the approach to trial awareness these days now more about patient centricity? How do you make patients aware of what a trial is, no one ever knows what those words mean. Maybe they do now because of COVID, mm -hmm. but is it age relevant? Is it disease relevant? Is it zip code relevant? Where have you seen that conversation? Right now I am recruiting. I'm helping to recruit for the COVID trials. But as far as other diseases go, I think it is really hard for patients to become aware of clinical trials because, well, I mean, it's usually it's it's seen as a last resort for patients um, as a source of treatment. Um, Is that true? I would I would think so. Uh, depending on the diagnosis, my treatment options were surgery or no surgery. Did you find out that there could have been a trial for you? No. Okay. 
I think for thyroid cancer specifically, there aren't very many trials, uh, particularly for the papillary type of cancer. Um, they're more for the advanced anaplastic and medullary types, but there are tons of trials that are going on for breast and lung cancer, and it's really the other types of diseases that are really not talked about, I feel like, at least when I've done my research on other cancers in clinical trials, that I don't feel like that there's much going on. And I think it's because, uh, number one, it's hard to find them. Um, and number two, if you go to the clinicaltrials.gov website, a lot of that is not written in lay-friendly language. And so if you read it and you can't understand it, you're not going to want to join. Well, if you read it and don't understand it, you're a normal human. <laughs> well, exactly. Yes. I mean, you could bring it to your physician, but at the end of the day, healthcare is a business. And I think physicians feel like they are going to lose their patients if they hand them over to a clinical trial. Yeah. 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 And again, that's a whole other show. Yeah. And it's a rabbit hole that leads to a bigger rabbit hole, mm -hmm. if I can just put it lightly and mildly. Sure. Yeah. So final thoughts, because, you know, like I said, here you are now. Yeah. A Twitter influencer. I see you all the time. Yes, I just called you a Twitter influencer. Well, thank you. You are very active. Yeah. And I love that you chime in. I love that people know who you are. You know, how many? Do they really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're well known in the Twitterverse. You've done a great job. Thank you. With, you know, we don't intentionally sell brands sometimes. Sure. But everyone knows, you know, the right people in the right crowds know you and trust you and listen to what you have to say. That's great. So you're already swimming with the people that are drinking the Kool-Aid. Yes. And people are only activists once the sky has fallen on them. Mm, mm -hmm. How do you feel about talking to the people for whom the sky has not yet fallen or it's fallen on them yeah. and they don't know what to do about it? Join a support group. Um, number one, I, I was not told about support groups until I reached um, survivorship. I was not talked about. That's not OK. I know. I was it mentioned to me when I was going through my first surgery, my second surgery or my radiation. I did all of my advocacy work after I went into remission or my so-called remission. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> yes. My so-called remission. That's um, your TV show. Oh, my gosh. My so-called remission. It's my book. That's your book. We just called, <laughs> write a book by so-called remission. Oh, my God. That, that would sell like hotcakes. Oh, my goodness. That's funny. Um, join a support group. Um, there are plenty on Facebook. Join a, a Twitter chat. Share your story because you don't know the power of it until uh, somebody comes to you and says, you know what? I really related to that. And I thought I was the only one who felt that way. And I'm not. And I really want to thank you. You know, I, I helped create the Young Adult Cancer Movement in 2007. Yeah. And I say this with not a dad-like tone. Sure. But I'm proud of you. Thank you. For helping to carry the mantle of the attitude that we brought forth to this planet. Back thank then. you very much. Carly Flumer, the Director of Medical Engagement at MMG. But you're so much more than that. You were dealt a lot of shit yeah. and, and you shoveled it out of the way. <laughs> and you, I'm so thrilled you're a part of our community and doing all the right things. Um, on Twitter, at Carly Flumer, any last famous words? Be proud of who you are, even through all the shit that you've gone through. I got a shit on her. I'm done. She said <laughs> shit. We're done. Okay. Good night, folks. See you next time. Bye. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. 
Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>